the kingdom of God in this age is entirely a spiritual kingdom. Anytime we come to Scripture, we should first ask ourselves, how did the original readers, how did they understand this? How did Mark's readers take this parable? What did this parable mean to Mark's readers? So you remember Mark's readers were Roman Christians, and they were Roman Christians at a time in which persecution was really beginning to ramp up. It would get more intense. It would get more real, but it was at the point of the writing of Mark's gospel at a point at which it was already getting intense. And so you can imagine this small church there in Rome, this small group of believers, and just how they feel so vulnerable and so insignificant and so in danger. And you can imagine Jesus' parable of the small mustard seed and how the promise is that this seed will result in the grandest bush of all, how that would have been encouraging for a Christian who felt marginalized, who felt in danger, maybe physical danger, actual danger, or maybe danger from social ostracization or, or losing their job or, or being ostracized from their family or whatnot. You can imagine how encouraging it would have been for them. But I think the danger for us comes in regards to this parable when we read the parable and we think of the parable this parable of the, of the sea growing into the bush, we think of ourselves in some sort of triumphal, triumphant sort of way, looking back upon the seed as though we're now the bush. I think that's the typical way of understanding the parable. That the kingdom of God began so small back in the day when Jesus called Andrew and John and James and Peter to follow Him. And then there's this group of 120. And then there's the early church under such persecution. We think that that was the seed. And look at what the seed has now grown into. Such a bush is this. Which is why, by the way, I started with the little parable illustration that I started with. Because we resonate with that. We resonate with the idea that Back then, the kingdom of God was this tiny seed. But then look, 200 years later, the emperor Constantine was worshiping Jesus. Look at how it's grown into the bush. And so we tend to look at this parable as though we are now living under the bush. And here is the most important interpretation factor of the parable. We are not the bush. The bush doesn't come until the next age. And that's the understanding of the parable. If you get that, you understand the application of the parable. The bush is not yet. We're still the seed. The bush comes when the mustard seed comes back. When Jesus returns in His glory. That is when the glorious bush will be seen and be perceived. And that is the culmination of the parable. You see... We so much want to look at the advancing of the kingdom of God through human eyes. 
And we so much want to see the things that has happened to the church, the growth of the church, the the influence of the church, all these different things. We want to see those as the advancing of the kingdom of God. But the thing to see, the thing to grasp here is this, that this is a tremendously encouraging parable because this parable reminds us that the kingdom of God in this age is, and listen closely, entirely spiritual. The kingdom of God in this age is entirely a spiritual kingdom. And any sort of advancement that we might see in the physical realm is not the advancement of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about in the parable. In the parable, He's talking about the spiritual advancement of a spiritual kingdom. Remember the purpose of parables. The parable is to illumine or to show to us something about a spiritual kingdom that we don't see. We can see the physical, we can't see the spiritual, but this is what the parable does. It shows us something about the spiritual reality that we don't see. So in your notes here, I've got a few points for us to see that will help us, I think, understand the parable properly. Number one, the advancement of the kingdom in this age can only be seen by faith. The advancement of the kingdom of God in this age can only be perceived with eyes of faith. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Speaking here, the writer says, putting everything in subjection under His feet. Now verse, now the next verse, now putting everything in subjection to Him. He left nothing outside His control. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him, but we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So you see there the theme there. The theme is that Jesus sits in rulership of all things, but that's not seen. That's not perceived by most. It's only perceived by those who have eyes of faith. We see Jesus. We see that He's the ruler. We see that He's the King, but most don't see that. The advancing of the kingdom of God can only be seen with eyes of faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, For a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul says, you know what? You know what I see with my eyes? What I see with my eyes is the same thing everybody else sees with their eyes, adversaries. But I see something else. I see an open door of opportunity. Or think of 2 Kings 6 and verse 17. Remember, remember the story where Elisha's servant is fearful because of the army that's coming against them, and Elisha prays, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see that there are more with us than against us. And so the Lord opens His eyes. So the the advancing of the kingdom of God can only be perceived by eyes of faith because it is a kingdom of faith. It is a spiritual kingdom. So we all probably, I would hope all of us, have read at least one or more missionary biographies or some sort of biography of some church leader, some great well-known preacher or pastor or some missionary. Do you know a common theme that is in every single biography of every Christian I've ever read? A common theme in every single one is a time of deep, dark discouragement over no visible results. I cannot think of a single biography of a missionary or a minister of God's Word or anything that did not have the element of of a significant time of discouragement 
that came from a long extended period in which no results were being seen. And what that does is emphasize for us that this is normal. This is by God's design. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom in this age. And the advancing of that kingdom is not something that's seen with the eyes. It's not something that's measured on paper. It's not something that's counted. It's not something that's measured by baptisms or church growth or the number of churches or anything. It's a spiritual kingdom that is only perceived with spiritual eyes. Number two, those who, those who mistake the advancing of the kingdom of God to be a physical kingdom, those who make that mistake, Scripture shows us very plainly that they stand in need of correction. When we make the common mistake of assessing the progress of the kingdom of God in physical terms, Scripture shows us that that stands in need of correction. Think of the disciples in Acts chapter 1. Of course, Jesus now is the risen Christ, and He's just about to ascend to heaven. And they ask Him that fateful question. Jesus, is it at this time that you will restore, what is it? This physical measurement, this physical thing of the kingdom being restored to Israel. Jesus rebukes them. That's not for you to know. That'll happen when I return, and that's not for you to know. Or look with me at Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Or even more plainly in Isaiah 31, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Those who make the mistake of assessing the advancing of the kingdom of God in anything physical, the message Scripture has for us is stop. Because the kingdom of God in this age can only be measured in spiritual terms, in terms of faith. We are so prone to want to assess the kingdom of God in human terms. Number of churches, number of people attending churches. You, we all hear those Barna research polls that say well, church attendance is down or church attendance is up among this group or down among that group. Or we want to talk about the number of baptisms or we want to talk about the number of missionaries on foreign missionary fields or we want to talk about the number of Bibles that have been printed or we want to talk about the number of uh, a Christian events taking place or we want to talk about things like social media exposure, social media success, likes, downloads, listens, all those sorts of things. Or we want to talk about things like successful boycotts of Target or successful boycotts of Bud Light, okay? Or maybe we want to talk about some sort of law that got signed into law that's protecting female high school athletes or something. And we want to take all those things and we want to look at those things and we want to say, that's the kingdom of God. It is not the kingdom of God. Now, God in His mercy may often bless us And He may often be merciful to us by restraining evil. But that's not to be confused with the advancing of the kingdom of God. Because when you make that mistake of of equating those things, whatever they may be, anything in the physical realm, when you make the mistake of equating that with the kingdom of God, do you know what? I'm sure that we all kind of know the score. Don't we? We all kind of know that we're outnumbered. 
And the disparity in numbers isn't getting closer. It's getting further apart. And there may be some sort of moral victory over here, or there may be some sort of ministry over there that's doing good work and making advances. But you know what? If you make that the measurement of the kingdom of God, then you are setting yourself up for extreme spiritual disappointment because God never promises the physical advancement of anything. Not in this age. Just like we talked about not too long ago, the promises of God, how the promises of God in this life are all spiritual. All the promises of God are ours in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. But all those promises in this life are spiritual. The physical promises start at the resurrection. In the same way, the physical kingdom of God starts at His return. Not now. And so discouragement awaits those who confuse anything physical, any advancing of the gospel, any number of, of converts, any number of church attenders, any number of churches, any, any, anything. With the, to confuse that with the kingdom of God is to misunderstand the kingdom of God in this age and to set yourself up for great spiritual disappointment. Because you know what? This age will continue along the same path that it's been continuing on now for millennia, which is the path of increasing evil, increasing blasphemy against God. Folks, it's not going to get better. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get far, far worse. And if any tiny corner of the kingdom of God in your mind is the restraining of that, then you better hold on to your seat. Because you're more than likely to see all of that restraining being let loose. The kingdom of God in this age is a spiritual kingdom, and we are not yet at the bush. If those who are really impressed by these show-stopping physical things, big crowds, large churches, full parking lots for uh, churches on Sunday morning, if those kind of things impress you, then the kingdom of God is not very impressive for you, not in this age. So that's number two. Those who mistake the advancing of the kingdom of God to be in physical terms, they stand in need of correction. Number three, God declares that His power is manifested in weakness and He's not changed. That's what He said to Paul. Remember 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. If God's power was made perfect for Paul in physical weakness, why would He have changed? Why would suddenly in uh, 2023, would God now say, oh, my power is now manifested in physical strength. My power is now manifested in big churches. My power is now manifested in a whole lot of people going on to, to whatever ministry's website and listening and watching videos. That's how my power is now manifested. No, he's the same God. He's the same God who manifested his power in Paul through great weakness and frailty and vulnerability. He manifested his power through Paul in that way. He manifests his power in the church today the same way. In fact, that's the whole theme of 2 Corinthians. The theme of 2 Corinthians is, well, I'll put it in a nutshell. Paul shows, or Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians and says, Hey, you guys remember when I came, I didn't come with a whole bunch of eloquent words. I didn't come as this powerful speaker. I came in weakness. Those false apostles, they came in power, not me. That's kind of the theme. And so the same God who says to Paul, that's how my power is shown 
through human frailty and weakness, He's the same God today. So you should train your heart. And this is hard to do. Nobody in the room understands how hard this is to do more than me. But you should train your heart to look around at such a small group of devoted people and not see weakness, but see strength. That is hard to do. That is hard to do because we are physical creatures. We live in a physical world and everything else in our life we measure by physical measurements. But we must train our soul to stop measuring the kingdom of God by any physical measurements, but instead to look around and see apparent weakness as strength. The strength of God, the power of God, is not measured in big, large, full church gatherings. The power of God is not measured in any human measurement. It's measured in spiritual measurements. And God tells us in His Word that how He likes to manifest His power is through human frailty, human smallness, human dependency, human need, and human weakness. So that's number three. God declares that His power is manifested in weakness and He's never changed that. Now, number four, the church has never received the fullness of the promises of God in this life. The church has never received the fullness. God's people have never received the fullness, the entirety of God's promises in this life. We have the fullness of all of His spiritual promises, but there are a great many more promises that none of God's people have ever received in this life. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 10, beginning from verse 38, and now crossing over that chapter division into chapter 1. Look how the two connect together. But my righteous, but, but my righteous one, I'm sorry, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The kingdom of God in this age is a kingdom that is not seen. And the people of God, the nature of faith, the the essence of faith necessarily includes a belief that what is to come after this life is far better than what we've received in this life. That is an indispensable aspect of faith. Biblical faith requires that you believe that what is to come after this life is necessarily far greater than what you've experienced in this life. But that thing that is coming after this life is, as the writer says, something that's hoped for, that's not seen. The conviction of that which you have not seen. Look at what he says a few verses later. Speaking of these heroes of the faith, so to speak. Really, there's one hero of the faith, and that's Jesus, right? But in Hebrews chapter 11, it's talking about all these humans who were followers of Christ, believers in Christ, and how all of them lived their lives by faith. Here's how he summarizes it. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Instead, they have seen them and greeted them from afar and have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. You see there? Biblical faith requires that we believe that what is coming after this life is far greater than what is in this life. That is an important essence of biblical faith. The church has never received 
the fullness of God's promise in this life, and we won't until the next one. Now, lastly, number five, the supernatural growth of the kingdom will be fully realized on the day that this age comes to an end. That's when the bush will be seen. That's when the mustard tree will be seen. When this life comes to an end and not before. Look at how the Bible describes that day. Look at how it describes the extent of that bush that we will see. Philippians 2, we read read this earlier. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And those aren't just the, the knees and the tongues that love Him. They're every knee that's ever been created. Every human tongue that's ever been created will confess, will kneel before Him and confess He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7 and just imagine with me the expanse of this bush, the expanse of this kingdom, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. The increase of the bush, the increase of the kingdom will never end. Now that doesn't mean that for eternity there will be people being born and souls added to the kingdom. What that means is for eternity, we will increasingly see and understand what Christ has done for us and increasingly glorify Him more and more. There will be no end to the expanse of that kingdom. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now look at Isaiah 49 and verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you, meaning Jesus, you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So the kingdom, from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, the kingdom knows no limit in time. From Isaiah 49, verse 6, the kingdom knows no limit in space. To the ends of the earth. That's an expression that means there's no end to it. The expanse will not have a border. It won't reach the end of itself. Look at Revelation 5, verses 9 through 12. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see that? from every language and tribe and nation, every people, every people will be part of this great bush. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, we don't know. This expression myriads and myriads is is a Greek way of saying without number. That the number of creatures, of beings who are worshiping the Lamb is without number. We don't know. Brother and I were talking over breakfast about how many souls will be in the kingdom of God. We don't know. Millions. Think of all the souls from righteous Abel to the very last soul, the very last chosen one of God to be born. Think of all those hundreds of millions. 
What's the biggest crowd you've ever seen? For me, I think maybe the biggest crowd I've ever seen, maybe football game at the old Mile High Stadium in Denver. 60,000 people. And I remember looking out at just the sea of humanity, the, the faceless, seemingly endless sea of people. 60, 70,000. What will it be like to see hundreds of millions? And not just people, hundreds of millions wearing glowing robes of righteousness, so white that they illumine all sinless, all without sin. All of them perfectly loving every other being and all of them perfectly loving Christ. All of them having as the greatest, strongest desire of their heart to glory and honor Christ for eternity. What will that be like? What will that bush be like? That is the end of the parable. We are still in the seed. And we don't see this kingdom, at least not with physical eyes. But there's coming a day when the sight of that kingdom will be utterly overwhelming to see what Christ has brought from one seed that went into the ground and died.